Soren Kierkegaard. In his book, Works of Love, uh, Soren Kierkegaard, listen, listen to what he says. He says, uh, when one has entered fully into the realm of love, the world, no matter how imperfect, becomes rich and beautiful. It consistently, and it consists solely, rather, of opportunities for love. So, again, when one enters into the realm of love, their purview of the world, no matter how imperfect, changes. They view the world in a beautiful way. They view the world as an opportunity for love. I want you, I want you to mar marinate on this quote for a minute. Because when I move into the realm of love, and I love how he says it, fully. When I fully move into the realm of love, no matter how imperfect the world around me is, it changes the way I view the world. Because now I see beauty. Now I see an opportunity for love. I want you to, I want you to hold on to this quote because if we are going to be the people that God has called us to be, if we're going to be believers, if we're going to be Christians, this needs to be our purview. I know that every one of us can see something wrong if we look hard enough. But it takes a Christian to look hard enough to see the love. Some of us in our relationships, we need to really ask the question, where is the love? I won't go there and sing the rest of it. But really, where is, where is the love? Soren Kierkegaard says to us that when we pass into the realm of love completely, wholly, fully, when we get into that realm, we view the world, no matter how imperfect it is, when we view our world, the world around us, the world that we're in, we view it from a beautiful perspective. And every opportunity that we have, every frustration, every, every altercation, every awkward place is a place where the love of God can envelop. And move forward. Are we together? Amen. Our text of focus that we're going to look at today, and then I will release you to have your sunny Sunday. First John, First John, chapter three. Let's run there. First John, chapter three. Uh, no need to stand because we'll be exegeting a few of these verses. First John, chapter three. When you get to chapter 3, let's go to verse 11, and let's start there. 1 John chapter 3, starting at verse 11. Verse 11 declares, for this is the message. This is, for this is the message that you have heard from the beginning, that we should love one another. Let's pause there because that's an important statement. Any preaching, any teaching, any Christian experience that is not founded on, based on, drenched in, and powered by the love of God 
is no Christian message at all. Don't tell me how Christian you are if you don't know how to love people. And the epitome of Christianity is the fact that one would love those who did not love him. So much to the degree that he would expel his own life as an ultimate expression of his love toward those ones. And so we as believers, we have to understand that love must be the very thing that characterizes our Christianity. Jesus tells his disciples, this is the way that everybody's going to know you belong to me. The way you love one another. And so we have to understand that our, that our message is, has been, is now, and must always be love. I don't care how well you exegete the text. I don't care how many doctrines you have. And this is why, and okay, I'll say it. This is why I got a problem with any faith tradition or any woke example of belief that stops people from loving other people. I don't care how much you know Jesus. I don't care how many scriptures you can quote. I don't care how many Sabbaths you celebrate. I don't, I don't care how, how, how many Torahs you didn't read. I don't care how woke you are, fam. If you don't know how to love, you don't know Jesus. You have to love and not just love according to your own standard. But love according to the illicit standard of Jesus Christ. I call it illicit because it doesn't make sense that he loved me. You perfect and I'm praying for you that that perfection comes on to me. But when I look at my life, and I look how unloving I have been, when I look at how I wield hatred as a weapon to kill people, and the fact that I hear him say, son, I love you, it cripples every fiber of my being that wants to muster up hatred for somebody else. And if the love of Christ has not crippled your ability to hate, I'm questioning if you've ever been saved. Because once the true revelation of Jesus Christ and his love for you permeates your spirit, it cripples one's ability to hate. This is the message. He goes on to say, verse 12, we should not be like Cain, who was of the evil one and murdered his brother. And why did he murder his brother? Because his own deeds were evil and his brother's righteousness. He says, I need to lift up this reality because many of us cannot love one another because we are pitting ourselves against one another. He said, we cannot love one another wholly, purely, righteously because we are judging one another according to varying standards. And while, while it, may seem, it may seem crazy, the reality is, is that in that scenario, Cain was the judgmental one. Cain seen Abel make his sacrifice, and, and we, we, won't, we won't dig deep into Genesis right now, but, but if, if you read through that, 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 that passage of Scripture, the Bible says that, that Cain actually has a conversation with the father. 
the father goes to Cain and says, Cain, why you salty? Why you mad? You mad, bro? He says, I need you to understand, if you do good, everything will be all right. But notice what, what, what he says, what God says in Genesis. He says, but if you do evil, watch this. If you do wrong, if you make a mistake, if you mess up, if something goes the way it's not supposed to go, notice what God says. He says, evil is crouching, or sin rather, is crouching at your door. Now notice this. Your mistake is not necessarily sinful. But when you do not properly contextualize your mistake, sin is waiting. The Bible says it's crouching at the door to change your whole concept. This is why you have to be very careful how you contextualize your own life or what voices you listen to when you make mistakes. I'm pressing through this text. But you got to be very, you, you, need some, you need some spiritual people around you when you're in a fallen state. Because that's the quickest way to get to the place to where you end up slashing tires. You end up cussing somebody out on Facebook. You end up showing up at people's house. You end up doing stuff that you could probably do time for because you have the wrong people in your ear when you messed up. And so now we, gotta, we, got, we, we have to investigate the text. We have to investigate the text because now we have to figure out what got into that brother's heart that he would kill his other brother. Just like the enemy was able to beguile Eve because she was already in a place of curiosity. The enemy was able to beguile Cain because he was already in a place of frustration. Frustration works just like curiosity. And the Bible says that it entered his heart. It does not say that he conceived it. It says that it entered his heart and he was so upset that he went and killed his brother. Be very careful that you don't allow the pain that you feel, the frustration that you feel, to kill your brother, to kill your sister. Ask yourself, how many relationships have I killed with my mouth, with my post, with my ignoring them, with my sowing seeds of discord with somebody else? Let me just pause parenthetically. I'm, I'm not going to hang here long, Adrian, I promise. But I, I just got to insert this. Just because you don't like them don't mean everybody else got to not like them. I, I, just, I just felt like I, need, I, felt the, I felt pushed to say that right now. You see, there's some people that can't stand you. And you can't stand them. But you, you, you got to release this tribal mentality that will cause you to have to think that if they my enemy, they got to be everybody's enemy. No, y'all just got off on the wrong foot. I'm good. So don't be mad that we're going out to love. Oh, my God, who you going to love? I can't believe you take a picture with them. Wait a minute. I'm not stank like you. I'm actually cordial. 
I know how to temper my words. I'm not, I'm not coarse and hard like you are. I've learned the art of conversation. Yeah, 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 yeah. I know how to handle God. And I know how to handle the gospel. I know, I know how to correct somebody without challenging their character. I know, I, know how to, I know how to deal with you without making you feel dealt with. And so you have to understand that when we begin to operate in the love of God, he will begin to temper the way we deal with people. You see, it was because he walked in love that he was able to formulate parables. To speak to people according to where they were. So we cannot be like Cain. Here it is. I, I, I got it. Okay. He says, do not be surprised. We're in 13. Do not be surprised, brothers, that the world hates you. Do not be surprised that the world hates you what you need to what you need to grab as truth right now is that as you begin to live according to the standard of God there will be people that will hate you and uh, as it relates to to where we are in in this generation will hate on you simply because you have decided to do it God's way simply because you have decided to love like God now uh when you love according to the standard of God, it will cause you, it will put you in a place to where you are hated by others. Here's where the church has made its mistake, or at least one of them. We tend to respond to people according to the way they, they come at us. We, we stuck in the Old Testament and we, and, and, and we, haven't, we haven't read the whole Bible. And we just stop at eye for an eye. But we have to understand that we are called to a higher level of consciousness. My grandfather, uh, the late Reverend Dr. Joseph Lee Jr., who stood here for 50 years and pastored this place, he would say, you can hate me to hell, but I'm going to love you to heaven. And, and the reality, when we begin to study the, 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 the full scripture and begin to do an anthology on love, we will understand that you can correct more people, you can fix more people, you can help and heal more people, you can correct more people with love than you can with judgment. He says in the text, uh, in, in, the, in, in the scripture, the Bible teaches us that love takes the place of justice. That where justice does not properly function, love has to be inserted. Because justly, some of us should not be where we are right now. Justly, some of us should, should be at a far different place. But because love took the place of justice, we're able to be where we are right now. Let me pause and encourage somebody. This week in your relationships, do a better job at Taking out the justice and inserting the love. Can't do that. <laughs> it's too much. 
That's too deep. They owe me too much. They owe me too much. I'll miss a whole month's pay if I take out justice and insert love. I'll actually, I'll actually have to have a relationship with this person that I determined within myself I was not going to deal with anymore if I take out justice and insert love. But isn't that what Jesus did for you? For the wages of sin, last time I checked, last time I checked, but the gift of God is eternal life. And that gift was fortified through love. John 3.16. For God so loved the world that he gave. Let's. So he says, you got to understand, the world is not going to love you, but you cannot, let that, you cannot let that hatred motivate hatred in you. You got to keep loving people. Any, here it is. Oh, okay. Homework assignment. The people... This week, because you, you, you've already identified them right now as I'm saying, like, he like, homework, oh, okay. Bishop about to make me do something stupid. The people that you've already identified as, as ones who hate you, they're your assignment. You have to learn how to love them so much to the degree that they are one by love. This is, this is what Peter says. Uh, to, to the Christian wife. He says, he says that, that even though your, your husband is ungodly, let your conversation, let your love toward him win him. So then, he goes further. And he says in verse 14, when you know, we know that we have passed out of death into life because we love the brothers, and whoever does not love abides in death. This is how I know you have the life of God in you, when you love the brothers. And, and this word is, is, is not a connotation toward one particular gender, but it speaks of the brethren. It speaks of the fellowship. It speaks of the called out, the ecclesia. It speaks of all of us who are a part of the body. I know you got life because you love the brothers. And if for whatever reason you can't find yourself loving the brothers, you still have an affinity for death. Notice what, he's, what he says here. He says here, uh, whoever does not love abides in death. He didn't say you were dead, but you have made death your abode. You have made death your dwelling place. And some of us have found ourselves like the man in the cemetery who was possessed by demons. We're still living in cemeteries. We're still living in death because we'd rather find reasons not to love than to push past the death of ourselves and die to self and live in love. Death is comfortable. I know this is a, I know, I know. Somebody going to get it. Somebody going to get it. Death is comfortable. 
because when I live in death, I don't have to deal with the complexities of reality. When I live in death, I can say stuff like, you're dead to me. When I live in death, I can ignore you. I can ignore the realities of where I am. And some of us, if we be honest, because we have not fully embraced the love of God, we're still abiding in death. Life is in us. We've been given life. We have crossed over from death into life. But because we do not want to deal with the heavy weight of living in love, we'd rather deal with the shallowness of death. Because if I live in death, I only got to go six feet. But if, if, if I live in love and live in life, I then have to, watch this, I then have to descend to the core. Because if I love you, then I got to go to hell with you. If I love you, I literally have to descend. This is what David says of the Lord. He, he, says, he says, you will go with me everywhere. But if I'm dead, I don't have to go with you anywhere. So he says, this is how we know that you love one another because now you love the brother. And this is how we know that you're alive. This is how we know that you're operating in love because you, you, you are connected with the brethren. And now you've made the decision that wherever you got to go, I'm willing to go with you. I, 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 I want to put this on the table and I, and I encourage every person who is preparing or entering into a relationship to hold this as a principle. Listen to me. You can't say you really love somebody until you are faced with the bane of their existence and you're still willing to rock with them. Standing in a white dress Standing in a sharp, finely tailored tux, in Aruba, come on, Cancun, Fiji, talk to me, everybody in love in Hawaii, everybody in love at the baby shower. Everybody at love at the reception. Come on. It's, it's all love when we at the family picnic and, you know, we putting on airs and we trying to make it look like we better that we didn't drive in separate cars. But when you are, when you are arrested with somebody's worst and you're, you're still able to, to lock hands with that worst of them and say, we will go wherever God is calling us to go to. This is why I know Karen is the one. For real, 14 years. This, this is why I know we're supposed to be together because she didn't see nasty James. So I know y'all see Pastor James, amen, and, and, and y'all and Bishop James, you know, y'all like him. He's good. He sings, he dances, he preaches, he prophesies over us, but she, she see cussing nigga out James. Oh, okay, pray. okay, I'm sorry, I'm sorry. Mm. I, I, I've been doing good, Kena. God, okay. listen, all right, I okay, so she's seen attempted murder, James. 
Okay, y'all, okay. All right, amen. I know y'all, I told you. Demarcus, I told you they saved in here. They per y'all perfect. She seen the James that got arrested because he was about to. And now the question is, do you still love me? And if you can pass beyond there, then we got something to work with. I encourage you, you young people or you older people that are still courting, I encourage you to show them the worst of yourself. I know, I know you're busy putting on lashes and you putting on hair and you binding yourself up in the Holy Ghost and, you know, all of that stuff. No, let it all hang out. Be the... I know that's crazy. Do I need y'all pray for me? Be the worst version of yourself. Say, hey, you want this? 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 Because, <laughs> see, that's going to determine whether we're going to have something that we can rock with. My granddaddy told me, son, everything, everything that's tight going to get loose. Everything that's long going to get short. Everything that's fast going to get slow. But do we have love? Pray for me, Jerry. We have to know this. We have to know this because otherwise we are living in death. Some of us are operating in dead relationships. Because, okay, here it is. Because you're acting like corpses. Corpses are adorned. We paint them. We can position them. And put them wherever they want. And we can, watch this, and we can be in rooms with corpses and never have to deal with stuff because they're not going to say anything. And some of you, you say you love them, but if you never say anything, the question is, are you dead? Because how can you live in a relationship where things need to be said? And they go consistently unsaid. Things need to be done. And they go consistently undone. Because somebody has decided to lay down. And die. Life is messy. Life is difficult. Life is hard. Life is inconvenient. But I would rather live than be dead. And I don't have any problem with you being frustrated with me. I don't have any problem with you not wanting to see me right now because I know that we are still building something. Let's fight. We'll make up. Let's cry. We got Kleenex. Let's prostrate ourselves. The furniture moved. 
Let's sit right here and let the dinner get cold. We got an oven. At least a microwave. I will sit right here in this car. Let the battery die. I got tables. But we're not moving. Until we live. Everyone who hates his brother is a murderer. And you know that no murderer has eternal life abiding in him. Matthew 5, Jesus makes a statement that ruptures the whole construct of the Pharisees when he says, if you hate your brother, you are worse than a murderer. Why does he make this statement? Because he understands that the, the, the root of murder is hatred. That's where it starts. If you hate me, you might as well pick up your gun and shoot me. It's the same emotion. It's the very root that causes you to not care about my life. He says, if you hate the brethren, you are a murderer, fam. And my question to you, how many homicidal Christians are there in this church? How many, how many of us are spiritual care mongers? How, how, how many of us are just swole up with the souls of our family members? Because we've determined that we hate them. We've determined, here it is, that we don't have the capacity to love them. By this we know, love, that he laid down his life for us, and we ought to lay down our lives for the brothers. Now, what we need to understand about this verse, and, and, and really for me, this is a key verse as it relates to instruction. God is not telling you through, through the Apostle John to go run in front of a car unless you're grabbing somebody. He's not saying that you have to, to live this self-deprivating life and let people take advantage of you. But what he is saying is that you have to embrace a selfless living, a self-sacrificing lifestyle that says, just like Jesus sacrificed his mortal life so that I could live, how can I sacrifice my proverbial life so that somebody else can live? 
We tell people no simply to secure our own personal comfort. All right, y'all not going to lie in this church and act like you, you just yes and all the time. How many people have needed to live at your house that you told them no? You, you made up some beautiful excuse why you don't have enough space. How many times have, have you made up an immaculate excuse of why you can't be there for somebody? He says, this is how we know. He laid down his life for us, and so we lay down our life for one another. You can't tell me how saved you are and how much you love me until you're willing to lay down your life for me. This is hard stuff. This is heavy. Here it is. This is real Christianity. This is the kind of Christianity that stands between Sundays. Because everybody's saved in the room until we get into the hard place. And we have to, and we have to figure out, okay, do I do that vacation? Or do I make sure they don't go into foreclosure? I'm, okay, let me, okay, let me be honest. I, I honor this people. I honor Heavenly Vision because I have known love. I've loved this church, and I've experienced love. I can stand before any pastor and say, I pastor the best people in the world. Oh, you lying, Rev. No, I'm telling you the truth. Because I've experienced love at a place where people have inconvenienced themselves. For me. And you have to ask yourself, if you are worthy to be counted among this people on the basis of your ability to inconvenience yourself, to shift your life, maybe beyond the not this time, but not at all, for the sake of somebody else. Who's, who's, who, who, who's strong enough? Who, who, who got love? See, this will change your context before you say, oh, I love you, love you, sis. LOL, love, love you. 143, love you, love you, love you. See, this is going to challenge that love that you're speaking out of your mouth because if you really love me, then when I need you, I should be able to call you. And on the basis of your love for me, you respond. Not according to whether I deserve it or not, but according to the love you have for... See, okay, and this, and this is why I'm closing. This is why love is so dangerous. Because my love for you, as it relates to how I operate for you, with you, is based on my decision, not yours. Because many times, our love is tested by the ill decisions of others. And so, what I do in response to that ill decision is based on the decision I made long ago when I decided to love you. Am I preaching? Is anybody, anybody being helped by this? So, when we get into the hard place, I cannot judge according to where you are. I have to judge according to years ago when I determined in my mind, I'm going to love you. 
This is why vows are so important. As you come to my house right now, there's a covenant hanging at the front door. Because I need you to understand, no matter what happens up in here, and y'all pray for me, it probably was selfish. I probably did it for my own benefit. Now, Karen, now you signed that covenant. Now, you said. I know I'm acting a little foolish right now, but you, you, did you sign it? Don't you sit down. Don't, you ain't going nowhere. No, the reality is you have to base your decision on the one you've already made, not in light of what is before you. I'm not giving anybody carte blanche. I'm just making you aware of what Jesus did for us. And if we want to call ourselves those who follow after Jesus, we have to be willing to do what Jesus did. And that's why everybody don't want to be saved. That's why it's easy to be a Hebrew Israelite because I can hate who I want to hate. It's easy to be a Muslim because I can say I, I don't like, I don't, I don't love the white man. But when I begin to walk in the love of Christ, when I begin to follow this Middle Eastern man and live after him, I love people on the basis of my decision to love them, not on the basis of their bad decisions. But if anyone has the world's goods, and sees his brother in need, yet does his heart against him. How does God's love abide in him? This is, this is the truth. Many of us in this season of blessedness, please hear me. When you get to a place of blessedness, God is going to challenge how much you love him and how much you love others. I know you experienced this before. It seemed like n nobody get hungry until you got money. Everybody, everybody fasted until nobody got a no, 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 nobody going going into a hard situation until you get a bonus. I know. That's your bonus. Hey man, I got a. But you have to walk in wisdom and you have to allow the spirit of God to lead you into exercising your love toward one another by helping them. Verse 18, little children, let us love in word and in talk, or not in word and talk, but in deed. And truth. As I leave you, I need you to understand that as we go, especially as we go into this new month, I'm so good on the love you, sis. Love you, bruh. That's cute. I love it. But I believe God is going to leverage the words that we've spoken out of our mouth. And bring forth an opportunity whereby we can love in deed and in truth. My prayer for every person in here that you begin to wrap your mind around this reality. And the, the very people that are sitting in this room with you. And the very people that are part of your body and a part of your family. That you make up in your mind you're really going to love them. 
you make up in your mind you're really going to love them or you get out of their life I know in the day and age where preachers want full churches and they, you know, they want multiple services and packed parking lots and all that kind of stuff. And, and that's cute. And at one point in the season in my life, one point in time, I wanted that. I didn't care how you was. I didn't care if you like me or not. Just come on in. Come on in. Let's pack them in. I want a church of love. I told the, I told the pastoral team a little earlier this year, listen, if you can't love everybody at this table, you're dismissed. No shade. I, 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 I ain't challenging your giftedness. I ain't challenging your calledness. But if you can't love your brother, if you can't go to bat for your sister, then you don't have a seat at this table. Because here's the reality. I'm going to fail. I'm going to mess up. I'm going to fall short. And so are you. But if there's love between us, I don't have to worry if you're going to have my back or not. If there's love between us, I don't have to worry that you're going to smear me on social media. I don't have to worry. So, Father, I pray that you put us in the place where we love you like you love us. Where we give like you gave where we do like you do this is love and this is us and allow us to live in love and it is so in Jesus name